Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. one word I would use to describe my childhood would probably be easy. Nothing really messed me up. My parents were good and fair people, and I made friends easily. I wasn't exactly introverted. In fact, I'd say I was fairly extroverted. I liked talking to people, making friends, and I wasn't shy. I don't generally look back on my young years, And the only reason I'm writing about it now is an event that happened to me very recently. It brought something back. In fifth grade, a kid joined my class halfway through the year. Before he actually came into the class, our teacher gave us a vague, condescending speech about how we should be sensitive and careful around him. She said something about how he hadn't had the easiest time recently and we should try not to upset him. The whole talk was strange. When the kid actually came into class the next day, no one really paid any attention to the fact he was there. He sat down like the rest of us and waited for the day to be over, much like every other child in the class. He was probably the most insignificant kid in the room, and I very rarely saw him talking to someone else. He stayed like this for around a month, silent, behaved, and very contained. That truly changed at the end of his first month at school. He started yelling and screaming at the teachers and throwing random things around the class. I watched the teacher dodge a stapler that nearly hit them in the head one day and an ice pack from his lunch bag the next day. I feel like a pussy writing this but fifth grade me was scared by this kid. His behavior slowly escalated as days went by and he started getting truly violent. Him and his mother were in deep shit with the school. His mother would come pick him up if he got too out of hand and she would get death looks from teachers every time. I saw his mother a few times and she didn't seem like the nicest lady you could run into. You little fucking shit. Your father would beat your fucking ass if we kept him around. Little cunt. Hold it in at school, you little freak. This is the worst of what I overheard from the woman. Of course the kid had problems. His mother probably beat him every other day. Now, his very violent outbursts were surprising and jarring to me when I was in the room. One day he cracked a yardstick over a kid's back. Another day, stabbing a girl in the back with a pencil, and finally, biting a teacher's arm. He dug his teeth into the flesh, and I saw blood stain his teeth as poor Mr. Ross screamed. These things all occurred in his final days at our little school. 
I think it was two weeks before his mother dragged him away and into the very back of my mind that I got the invitation. It was a little yellow card left at my desk with a little crude drawing of a skull and crossbones on the front. The big black letters on the front spelled, You are invited to Shane's birthday party. I was doing my best to avoid the kid the whole time he was in my class, and getting an invitation from him was scary. The kid looked worse every day as well, which added to my fear of the child. His teeth looked like they had been filed slightly each day, slowly getting sharper and more pointed. His hair was messy and uneven, and his clothes were ragged and ripped in places. One day, I saw him take a large bone from his lunch bag across the cafeteria. It had little chunks of meat on its sides, and I watched in fear and fascination as he cracked the bone in half and sucked out the marrow, proceeding to rip the meat from the sides. Leftovers. I opened the little yellow card to read the poorly written invitation, scrawled in black marker inside. Dear Christopher, would you like to come to my 11th birthday? Bring presents, please. A big yellow smiley face was drawn underneath the writing, taking up a good third of the space on the card. I think it's fair to say I never went to that party. On the day before he was never seen by the school again, he said something directly to me. You didn't come. Sean left, and no one had to deal with his shit anymore for the rest of their miserable education. This brings me to the present. For the past two months, I have been getting things in the mail. In fact, I've been getting the exact same thing in the mail every single day. A yellow card with black marker saying, You are invited to Sean's birthday party with a crude and poorly drawn skull and crossbones underneath. The card is the same exact one from fifth grade and I have been living in fear of Sean this whole time. Just yesterday, I got back from a business trip that I had been on for a while. I stepped through the door only to see something that terrified me. Yellow skull and crossbone invites everywhere on my living room floor, scattered up the stairs and stacked knee-high. They were everywhere, and it was such a shock to me that I had leaned against the wall to regain my composure. I heard creaking and rustling from my basement, and I froze. I went upstairs, grabbed my revolver that I had kept loaded, pulled out my phone, and walked back down the stairs. I dialed 911 and explained that there was an intruder in my house and they should come quickly. I felt different emotions at the time. This fucker wanted to mess with me and terrorize me for two goddamn months. I walked down the basement stairs admittedly shaking a little, holding my revolver close. I reached the bottom and flicked on the light, exposing what was hiding there. To my horror, crouched among the black and yellow cards 
was a naked man. So skinny, his spine was jutting out in a very pronounced way. His skin was gray in spots, and the rest of his body was as white as flour. A repulsive hag-looking woman stood near him, her breasts sagging so low they looked like stretched Play-Doh. Her smile boasted mossy, yellow-green teeth that looked like they haven't been brushed in 40 years. Her eyes were ridden with cataracts, and her gray hair draped down to her knees. Sean, none of them came. We went fucking hungry, you little shit. The disgusting woman looked down at the man and spoke in a harsh tone. I'm sorry, mommy. The kids didn't like me very much. The man spoke in a strange falsetto. Of course they don't. Just like your father was. Always useless. Dead fucking weight. The woman talked in a kind of hushed, raspy, smoker voice. The naked man soaked at the grotesque woman's words, staring at the floor and ripping up his own invitations. I watched in a sort of trance that I had never been in before. My eyes followed the man as his head turned towards me with his back turned. It turned farther than it should have, and I heard sickening crunching and snapping noises as it did. I heard police sirens nearing my house as the man looked at me and uttered the words that will never leave my memory. You didn't come. (laughs) Wonderful Sausage is a short story from the children's book, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, and is about a fat butcher named Samuel Blunt who begins using human flesh to make what becomes a popular new kind of sausage sounds like wacky gruesomeness made up just for kids, but seems very similar to the case of a real serial killer named Joe Roy Metheny. Metheny was a truck driver living in South Baltimore, Maryland with his crack-addicted old lady and their six-year-old son. It was the summer of 1994 when one night after work, he came home to find she'd left and taken their son with her. According to him, this was when his murderous rage started. But the actual killings didn't begin until six months later, when he heard she was staying with another man in a makeshift village for the homeless called Tent City, and the boy had been removed by authorities. He went looking for her and the man with an axe. His story was that neither of them were there, so he killed six other homeless people and one witness who was fishing nearby before weighing their bodies down in the river with some rocks. He led police to where he said it all happened a few years later, but no bodies could be found, so he wasn't charged. As far as investigators could prove, Metheny's killings began in 1995 when he brought a woman named Kimberly Spicer home from a bar before strangling her and burying the body under someone else's trailer. 
Metheny confessed to killing nine other people after Spicer and claimed he would also dismember his victims and serve their flesh to customers at a meat stand he ran. His exact words to the police, I cut the meat up and put it in some Tupperware bowls, then put it in a freezer. I opened up a little open pit beef stand. I had real roast beef and pork sandwiches. They were very good. The human body taste was very similar to pork. If you mix it together, no one can tell the difference. After running out of the human meat, he planned to get more from a prostitute he brought to his trailer. What he said happened after he assaulted her. I turned around for a split second and that was my mistake. For she ran out of the door before I could get to her. There was an 8 foot chain link fence with barbed wire on top of it around the front of the company. There was a stack of wooden pallets next to the fence about 10 about 10 feet high. That bitch scaled those pallets like a monkey and jumped that fence and ran down to the main road where some guy in a pickup truck picked her up. After her escape, Metheny opened the fence's gate and waited for police to show up. He was convicted of only three murders due to the lack of evidence for the others and received a death sentence on November 13th of 1998. But it was overturned on July 24th of 2000. He's currently serving a life sentence and is 62 years old. The last paragraph of his full confession. Well, that's my story. Horrible but true. So the next time you're riding down the road and you happen to see an open pit beef stand that you've never seen before, make sure you think about this story before you take a bite of that sandwich. Sometimes you never know who you may be eating. (laughs) Turns out Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark was published in 1981, which was 15 years before Metheny's arrest. So there would have been no case for the writer of Wonderful Sausage to be inspired by. Looks like this one was just a big coincidence. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. At 11.30 p.m. on the 4th of May, 1980, Joseph Hanna's father hears Joseph's car pull into the driveway at their home. He knew the sound of that car's engine and the sounds his son made parking his car. He fell asleep content that his son was home safely. At 11.30 p.m. on the 4th of May, 1980, Joseph Hanna's girlfriend saw him driving down the main street of her town. He waved and smiled at her before driving on. She was a little surprised because she had watched him set off home at 11 p.m. 
at 11.30 p.m. on the 4th of May, 1980, Joseph Hanna's babysitter heard footsteps pacing in the baby's room. Three people thought they had seen or heard Joseph that night at 11.30 p.m., but none of them had. Joseph died at 11.10 p.m. that night when his car was wrecked by a landslide. This is a warning to my fellow women and maybe some men. Always keep your door locked at night. If you have a deadbolt, use it. It might just save your life one day. I should introduce myself. I am Danielle Rogers. I am now 25 and I work in real estate. However, who I am is unimportant. I was 17 when this happened. I had been receiving regular calls and emails from someone I had met at a get-together. None of my friends knew him, so we had assumed he was some guest one of their other friends had brought along, maybe even someone's dad. He had gotten my number somehow, and he was constantly harassing me. I found it annoying, but I wasn't going to go to the police about it. I would simply decided to get a new phone. Everything was fine for about a week, but then my email blew up with messages from this guy. Sure, he was a creep, but he seemed harmless. Once he saw that I wasn't interested, he would go away, right? That's what I was hoping anyway. This guy had gotten out of control. The flirty messages had turned into threats of violent actions towards me. I then decided to get a new email as well. I thought that this would all be over. I didn't even consider the police at this point. I was such an idiot back then. I still lived with my parents at this point. Not surprising, considering I was still a minor. Whoever this sicko was, they somehow knew where I lived. Thinking back to it now, they probably stalked me. I had started finding notes with death threats. This 30-something-year-old nutjob was harassing a minor. I told my parents, and they told me that we keep the door locked at night and when we were away, so it wouldn't be a problem. Little did my parents know, if you shake that door hard enough, it will unlock for you, which is what this psycho did. It was four in the morning when I heard the door violently shake. I quickly grabbed a bat from under my bed and left my room. I stayed in a corner where it would be hard to spot me, quickly hiding in my father's locker for his work clothing. I watched as the door slowly creaked open. It was the man who had been harassing me for a few weeks. He was holding a gun. He wandered around the house for a bit, whispering my name over and over again. When he couldn't find me, he quickly left, leaving the door unlocked. I left the locker and tried to fall back asleep. When I woke up, I went to see if the door was unlocked. Sure enough, it was. 
I told my mom about it first, and she called the police. The guy was arrested for breaking and entering. He was also wanted for something else. I can't remember what it was, but it was something along the lines of a hit and run or second degree murder. That night still haunts me to this day. If I had stayed asleep that night, I could have been killed. So ladies and gentlemen, the moral of the story is to get a deadbolt and to use it at night or when you are away from home. It might just save your life one day. This is it, my last meal, and an hour before I kick the bucket. But I'm not kicking the bucket out of my own free will. I murdered someone. Well, killed and ate them to be specific. And I'm serving a sentence on death row. I was having issues with my husband nearly a decade ago, the day it all happened. We had been having issues for years prior but I had noticed something in me a few weeks prior that was changing. The more and more I grew angry, the hungrier I got. I continued to crave food and would binge eat, but over time, I started craving meatier snacks. I kept eating more meat out of the fridge, hot dogs, beef jerky, chicken, and other protein-heavy meals until I started to crave having my meat raw. I began to notice the changes I had been going through at that point. My aggression kept causing my appetite to build, and I tried to stop it. But, my husband was so abusive, and I had nowhere else to direct it. I kept consuming raw meat and craving its scent. I had nowhere else to direct my anger, but into my consumption of raw meat. I kept craving things like raw beef roast, bacon, turkey legs, and pork belly. The meatier and fatter the meat, the tastier. But the more I ate, the more weight I started to gain, and my husband hated that I was getting fatter. He wasn't a skinny fellow himself, but I knew how much he valued me being skinny and made his desires known through his punches. He would beat me day in and day out and would hurt me more if he had a hard day at work. He was easy to agitate and I found myself, for lack of a better term, walking on eggshells around him. He was a hateful man and changed so much from being the man I fell in love with five years prior. His job and his habits ate away at him. He was an alcoholic, quick to anger and a coward, meaning he would take out everything he had on me. He tried to endure what he threw at me, but I started to notice a cycle, a cycle that was going to break, one way or another. And on the day it all happened, I made probably my biggest mistake and created my greatest reward for all the suffering I went through. He came home early one day, having been fired from his job at the time and was ready to take it all out on me. I was preparing his dinner, but the moment he knocked me off of my feet with his fist filled me with so much fury, I was ready to do anything. 
He picked me up off of the floor and was ready to punch me in the face, but stopped mid-motion as he felt the blade of the kitchen knife I had been using plunge into his right torso. It had him in shock, as well as me, but I quickly acted on my mistake and finished what I should have done years ago. I plunged the blade in him more and more until he fell on the floor and began to stab him repeatedly in the chest. I didn't stop until the entire floor was the color of blood. In the midst of the act, my hunger started to kick in again, but I wasn't prepared to eat raw human flesh. I knew the risk of raw flesh and decided to go a safer route. I was going to cook part of my husband and try the forbidden meat, human flesh. I finished preparing the meal I was planning to cook for him, but instead of cooking beef tips and curry, I used tips of flesh for my husband as the meat. The meat was quite good, almost as tender as veal surprisingly, and I finished up most of the curry, but decided to save the last of it for a snack another time. I put it in the backyard freezer. It wasn't long until another disturbance call had police on my front doorstep. Only this time, I had no time to come up with an excuse for the officers as to what had transpired. They hauled me off to the police station, and in a matter of weeks, I was convicted of murder in the first degree, and my sentence was death. Since that day, over the last 10 years, I have waited long inside this prison cell to serve out my sentence. I no longer fear death, especially knowing that I got rid of the one thing that brought me anger and suffering. The only thing on my mind had nothing to do with facing up to my creator and the great beyond. No, no. My only concern was trying the best curry in the world one more time. So I had a friend of mine who still believed I was innocent save the meat from the freezer after they got it back from the evidence lab with it, coming out negative for anything harmful, and saved it up for me all these years in a freezer-safe container. I wanted this meal more than anything to be my last because I wanted to taste my husband one last time before I die, so I know the sweetest taste of his death once more, and can finally satisfy my cravings. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.